0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Years ago I met uh, my dear brother Charles Cooper, and uh, we've had the privilege to minister together several places. Uh, I remember being in India with him, and uh, there's a good story there. Uh, I also remember being in Ukraine together, and uh, it's been a delight to do that. How many of you have been at a men's conference or been here on a Sunday when Charles has spoken before? Yeah, take a look, brother. The majority of us have been here. So uh, we look forward to having you. Leviticus chapter 1, I think, is where you want us to start. And uh, so open your Bibles to the clean pages of Leviticus. Uh, (laughs) Probably that area where you stop reading when you do the Bible in a year. So uh, would you welcome my dear brother Charles Cooper to the stage at TBC. You know, brother, uh, some people turn gray, some turn loose. I chose the latter. I don't know about you there, man. Look at that. Wow. Yeah, it is uh, part of life, growing older. Since I was here the last time, I've certainly gotten older. Uh, Growing fatter, that also comes with age. I've certainly gotten fatter. And it seems like as you get older, you get meaner. And... uh, (laughs) I'm certainly meaner, Uh, so says my wife. Good to be back at uh, TBC. I uh, always particularly am appreciative for the privilege to come and say howdy. Uh, In Texas, we contemplated uh, moving to Texas not long ago um, and would have had not circumstances prevented. I heard that Texas was considering leaving the union I, I feel the same way, and uh, <laughs> if you all decide, um, just let me know before the border is closed. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely coming coming in. We were uh, on our way to uh, Ukraine, I believe, when we were told that Gary was going to be going through a series of things, and uh, we were not uh, pleased, or we were not able to do things that I would have wanted to do, I felt obligated to go, and I did. I know that you all as a church have been in prayer, and you are concerned, and you wanted to certainly respond in a Christian way uh, toward these types of things. We pray, we trust God, we look to him, and we, we expect uh, his grace to be sufficient, and we live according to his will, and we try to speak softly and be gentle of kind. I, on the other hand, was quite upset and mad about it. I still have not resolved that issue in my own heart. Uh, I can think of a whole lot of people (laughs) who rightfully deserve to be sick. 450 and near 500 of them live in a place up north. Every one of them could be blind, stricken, dumb, no loss. So I'm not, uh, I try to be nice about it. Uh, Danny called me and asked me to come and speak on the series that you are in on heroes celebrating and exalting the Lord Christ as the unique one of God whom God has made his single focus, his single hero. Suggested that I might want to look in Leviticus at the offering system and evaluate that in light of Christ. I thought that was perfect. The book of Leviticus is not among those that are easily comprehended. And since uh, you all are preaching through this series, I thought it appropriate that the most difficult <laughs> section be given to me. <laughs> for I am more adequately capable of. <laughs> That's just for Stephen. That's it. <laughs> One cannot read the book of Leviticus without discovering that there's a problem, and it's a big one. You cannot read through the book of Leviticus and not come to the conclusion that God has a problem. He's trying to work it out, and his system for doing so is quite impressive. You don't also, it will not escape you either, that if you happen to fall in the animal kingdom, you got a problem as well. You have the unfortunate case of being born in Israel, it doesn't look good, particularly if you are a lamb, goat, to bull. You Can't read the book without discovering that people got a problem as well. The context in which you must work in order to have a relationship with your God demands more than you're able to give in the series as we look at this topic and idea. When I first went to uh, England, one of the first trips I took, um, now do I change the slides or do you? Good, there we are. (laughs) This is Hampton Palace. The Hampton Palace, of course, was home to kings and queens, royal family until well, not long ago, and it is now a public uh, facility. You can go there, you can do tours, and you can uh, go through different parts of it, and it's nice. Uh, the, the, the family, the royal family, no longer lives there, but it is, of course, part of the history and tradition of that great nation. There is also another castle there. It is called Hampton Castle, Hampton Court Castle. Now, for about 10 years, uh, we we actually own this one. And part of my job was to help in its restoration. We rebuilt much of it. The roof had to be completely redone. Uh, most of the rooms have been redone, totally decorated. Uh, and you are now able to go there and stay. You're able to have weddings, conferences. and everything. We restored the gardens. We restored the maze. There is now a tea room that you can have. There are walking trails part of this magnificent facility. And we were greatly privileged to be a part of his restoration, and now, of course, it is part of the, uh, the countryside in Hope under Dinsmore. And if you go to Birmingham and drive an hour and a half outside, you would be able to go to this castle. Now, if you are an American, you say castle. If you are from Britain, it's a castle. And knowing the difference uh, will give you appreciation with the people. Now as I was uh, in the process of restoring this I would fly into London or Birmingham and of course in customs they would ask you what is your business because I would often be there on business as I was going to restore I'm going I'm coming home oh are you really yes and where is your home it's outside of Birmingham hope on the Dinsmore at Hampton Court castle and I was often impressed with their uh, attitude uh, towards me once they realized that I was going home. Got a different kind of aptitude with people when they appreciate the fact that you live in a castle. You own one. Rare club. Not too many people can say we own a castle. The appreciation of it was not real until I stayed there my first night and realized that I slept in rooms where Dukes, earls, and other high-bred aristocrats slept. I didn't feel any more, any more different than I am now. I really didn't need to sleep in a castle to have a very high opinion <laughs> of myself. All of us are parts of different clubs, and we think that's, meh, you know. It depends on what you're in as to what the club is. But to be excluded from a club, knowing that you could never be a part of it, is just not part of the American way. We want to be part of everything. and Yet God has an exclusive club that we cannot join. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 16, which most people know, God soul of the world, that he gave uh, his only son. Now, the ESV um, robs the text a little of its flavor. Um, if most of you probably memorized it in the King James Version, for God soul of the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That gets a little more to the uniqueness, the word "monogenes," unique born, the one of a kind, Born. And Jesus Christ puts him by his very birth in a club that is unique to his own, as the unique only born one son of God. And yet we are told in John chapter 1 verse 29 that there is other possibilities. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that requires that this unique born son was born for a unique purpose that singularly allows him to be the Lamb of God. That signals role, responsibility, and fulfillment all in one. Now, to appreciate what it means for him to be the Lamb of God and how significant that is for you today as you are seated in TBC, Temple, Texas, 2013, can only be appreciated if we go back to the book of Leviticus, because it is there that you come to appreciate what a Lamb of God is, what Jesus Christ is, and what that's going to mean in our lives. Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter uh, 8 is occupied with this notion of sacrifices. Speak to the Israelites, God says to Moses say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or from the flock. So now we're going to explain these offerings. And there are um, a number of them. It's significant that in order for you and God to get along, God requires that you have a sacrifice. And not just one. You had to have different sacrifices for different occasions. In fact, you were required to have a, a number of them depending on what your problem uh, is or your problem was. In fact, if you separate the columns out, as you work through the section, you will discover that there are in fact um, seven of these, um, depending on how you count, uh, or eight. There was first and foremost this offering called a burnt offering. And this burnt offering required was required in order for your commitment to God or to express your commitment to God or commitment to obey God. And so every day, depending on your level of commitment, you'd have to offer a burnt offering. Now you would also have to offer a grain offering. grain offering was uh, to discuss your dedication to the idea that all things belong to God. And depending on your sin level, depending on how many times you're going to have to make this offering on a regular, systematic basis. Not only that, but then there was what is called peace offerings, always plural. Because there were three different kinds or three different peace offerings depending on what you needed to express peace about. You had to have a peace offering to say thank you. didn't have a word thank you. You had to demonstrate that you were thankful. And so every day, if you had Problem with thankfulness, most children, acknowledging to God, you had to go up and answer to God. So this thank offering said, God, you answered my prayer. Or if you had made a vow and the vow was kept, you had to have a votive offering to say to God, I appreciate what you did and I fulfill my obligation to you. Or there was also what is called the free will offering. Free will offering was necessary if there was an unexpected blessing come your way run up to the temple and said, thank you, offer up a freewill offering back to the house for appreciation. There was also what is called the sin offering. And the sin offering was interesting because it was only for inten- unintentional sinning. If you just happen to uh, blow it, um, run down to the temple and throw on an unintentional sin offering, to make God happy concerning you. Now, if you sinned on purpose... No offering, <laughs> which probably is the most fascinating of all. But uh, sin offering. Then, of course, there was the guilt offering, the final offering, and this, of course, was for to make atonement by way of paying for damages. You run over someone's cow, you're guilty, you gotta pay. Go down to the temple, make an offering, and bring restitution. So in this system you can see right off that if you're going to be faithful to the system I mean very expensive. This is this is a it's a problem. And you know, depending on your sin level some of you men, you were broke real fast. The whole purpose of this is to have a right relationship with God. God is saying, if you want to have a right relationship to me, then you're going to have to do a lot. Now, this immediately poses a phenomenal problem, particularly for the people with whom this is going to have to do, because you are going to have to pay a lot. Now, I didn't put this up there, but just listen. I just want you to listen as I read this. If his offering is a burnt offering... He shall offer a male without blemish from the herd. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So this is what you're doing if you want God to even listen to what you got to say. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be acceptable for him to make an atonement for him. Then he, the person who brought it, he shall lay his hand on the head of it. Then he shall kill the bull. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall bring the blood, which drains out of the cut spot, throw the blood against the side of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meetings. Then he, the fellow who brought the offering, he shall lay flay, the burnt offering. Flay means to cut it up and cut it into pieces. Sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put... Fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire, and Aaron's sons of priests shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, the wood that is on the fire of the altar, but the entrails, the enters, the enters, and its legs, the person who brought it will wash it with water, and the priest shall burn all it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with the pleasing aroma to the Lord. It will be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. See, wow. Now, most of you sitting here this morning have no clue. The idea that you, Miss Abigail, go down to that temple, put your hand on the head of the bull, and then cut his throat, cut it up in pieces, put on a fine burden. Now, a good Texan, I know that you all are familiar with cows, and Appreciation for cows. But I mean are you are you really into that? I mean, let's be honest. I mean today if you had to do that, would would you be up for it? So, well when you watch it on television you can't smell it, you can't see it, you can't really interact with it, it doesn't look too bad. But if you've been to a cow barn lately, Cows don't have sense to keep it clean. Here you are with this dirty, filthy, nastily stinking animal that you've got to cut its throat and collect blood, and then you've got to cut it up into pieces and take its innards and put it on a fire to burn it. Are you really kidding? Yeah, that's what you had to do if you and God were going to get along. I would dare say most of you men are saying, well, that's not too bad. It'd be kind of exciting, actually. See, to have a right relationship with God required something beyond its, its strange credulity that you would have to do this, not just once. Potentially every day, more than one time a day, year in and year out. It's, why? Because God is saying, you're going to have a right relationship with me. It's going to cost you. It's going to be messy. You're not probably going to like it a lot. See, a right relationship with God, as far as we're concerned as humans, could be attempted. We could attempt it, but we could never finish. Because you'd have to do it every day. Month in, month out, year in, year out. It would not be too pleasant. Is it any wonder that they failed at it? The blood, the gore. Wow. Not only that, but it required a lot of blood. I don't know about you, but uh, blood is just a little, most people get a little squeamish around blood. Perhaps the reason we're so squeamish is because we don't have to offer every day a sacrifice like they used to. You couldn't afford to be squeamish if you had to offer every day cutting, pulling. Matter of fact, you read chapter 1, which we don't have time to do, you realize that If you were poor, you had to bring a bird, pigeons, which makes sense. You had to wring its neck, and then you had to take it by its wing and rip it apart. And then you had to burn that on the altar. Wow. Are you kidding? Yes, ma'am. The little bird that you just ripped apart, you had to hold and let the blood drain out of it. And then you had to throw the blood, the priest would throw the blood on the altar. And you'd burn up what was left. All to have a right relationship with God. Whose idea was it, God? It required a lot of blood. John chapter 1 verse 7 said the blood of Jesus keeps, keeps on cleaning, keeps on washing. See, the blood has to keep flowing forever and ever and ever to cover your sins. It required a lot of blood. Most of us were not too comfortable watching the passion of Christ. They even had a thing on that saying, you know, children certain days shouldn't watch this. I can just imagine You're going up to the temple, standing. well, we can't take the kids. A little too much blood and gore up at the temple. (laughs) Uh, God says, oh, hey, this is not BG, this is not GXV. Hey, you sin up to the temple. Children, too. A lot of blood. Sadly and unfortunately, if they have a right relationship with God, only God could establish it. Ultimately, only God. So he says, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you're left wondering, what in the world? How in the world can I do this? The whole purpose of this sacrificing in order to, have a, to express commitment and dedication, to acknowledge thankfulness, to clean up unintentional failures, and to have restitution was so that you, ladies and gentlemen, could have a right relationship with God. The cost of being right with God for sinners is outside the comfort zone of most sinners. That's tough. Yet it was required, yet it was necessary. This whole thing was designed so that we would be well-pleasing to God. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, verse 9, we actually read it. It actually said, that going through this whole ordeal, the priest shall burn all of this stuff on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It pleased God for it to happen. A burnt offering, pleasing aroma. Interesting, in Matthew chapter 3, Verse 16, the Lord expresses that He, I am well pleased with my son. He brings me pleasure. So not only would Jesus Christ fulfill the criteria of pleasing God as a sacrificial system was told, to, told to do, he pleased him in such a way that that pleasure is eternal, which is good for you. Now, in the sacrificial system, the burnt offering was temporary. It, only was, it was one at a time. It brought forgiveness, but it was a temporary forgiveness. One offering, one satisfaction, one period of the day. Until you blew it again, you had to come back to do the same thing. Yet with Jesus Christ, we discover in the New Testament that his is an eternal forgiveness. The value is what we're talking about. We're talking about the price of interest into this club by Jesus brought about an eternal significance for those who will take advantage of its significance. In the Levitical system, one sin could be covered by one offering, with the exception of the atonement. One sin, one burnt offering. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, all sin covered by one offering. Contrary, in the Old Testament, it was very public. In the New Testament, it's very private between you and Christ. As you deal with your sin on a daily basis, it's private. Now, someone may know that you sin, but in terms of how you deal with it, it's personal between you and Christ. Of course, unless you blew it with somebody and you got to go say I'm sorry which of course we've totally abandoned nobody's ever sorry for anything the publicness of Old Testament sin was supposedly supposed to cut it down because everybody knew what you did everybody knew what you had done because of the sacrifice you brought that was one of the things about it when you come marching down the street with your bull everybody knows now what's the bull sin well, that's a short list on sins if you're having a bull. He's you got three bulls, so okay. It's in an even news. Danny Cuttingham, three bull offering today. <laughs> you know what Danny's been doing. Definitely not qualifying for that test. So we could tell by the offering what the sin was. Very public, but in Christ, very private. What I like about it is this. In the Old Testament system of all these offerings and all this blood and all this gore and all of this stuff in order for me to have a relationship with God, God was ultimately saying, whatever you think you're doing, it has very little value. It should not have taken long for the nation to realize that this won't work. And we're going to have to have some other remedy. And thank God we get to the New Testament and we look and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not sins, the sin of the world. Picks it up, carries it away. As modernists, we are. As modernists, the whole sacrifice, dying, doesn't mean very much to us. I mean, when you get right down to it. It's not a part of our worldview. We've not been around it. We've not had occasion to see it, to smell it. And therefore, when the pastor gets up on a Sunday morning and proclaims that Jesus Christ is our eternal sacrifice, it doesn't really mean a lot. I mean, to be honest, we don't have a frame of reference. And now that sin has been taken off the list of bad things, it's even a worse. And so I was thinking about this. And now, listen, we've got... Intelligent people, doctors, I bet you all these doctors from Scott Whitehead and lawyers, intelligent, articulate, capable builders, men of trade, nurses, housewives, very intelligent, capable people. Okay. I sit there saying, now wait a minute, how can I take this to make sense to people so that it has value? Because Jesus is our hero. He's the only one that could have died for us. He did die for us. His sufficient, the sacrificial sufficiency of Christ makes it possible for you to have an eternal relationship with God. You don't have to put sacrifice every day. You don't have to go up to the temple publicly anymore. You don't have to acknowledge in public your sin in a very private, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. What has that robbed us of? It has robbed us, ladies and gentlemen, of the beauty of relationships. I just recently went through a pretty tough loss of a friend. It was my choice. I had to say, no more. Fifteen years investment. When I was a little boy, a man took me in and basically helped raise me, pay for stuff. He basically carried me when I couldn't carry myself. And one of the consequences of that is in my personal life, Every year of my life, I've had somebody in my life that I am pouring into financially, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. I put a kid through college like that. When I was at Moody, I did that. When I moved to Florida, first thing I did was found a guy who wasn't a believer, started pouring into his life. He became a believer. We became friends, discipling, mentoring, growing Relationally being together, pouring my life into him. That's nothing I wouldn't do for him. That's nothing I wouldn't give to him. There's no such thing as too late to call. There's no such thing as a gift too big to give. When I'm your friend, I am your friend. Friendship has a limit. I will not tolerate under any conditions. I will not tolerate anybody that is my friend mistreating anybody else, period. You can Nobody's perfect, but when you do it on purpose, that means your employees. It means the undocumented worker who mows your lawn. If you were my friend and you had an undocumented worker mowing your lawn and you were paying him cheap because you know you could, you and I cannot be friends. Period. You hire someone to come redo your roof. You try to get the cheapest guy you can get, but you demand, your demand's outrageous. We can't be friends because well, I don't allow my friends to mistreat people. Period. I don't care. Well, the budget's tight. I don't care. The money. I did I don't care. And he violated one of those, and that meant it was done. Now I can afford to be that way. I'm human but God cannot. You can't appreciate the sacrifice of Christ until you appreciate how sinful you are and how much you violate the relationship every single day. Every day. And yet Christ in his sufficiency, makes it possible for you to be right with God every day, every hour, every minute, and it doesn't matter what you have done. That's the power of our hero. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you have not bought in yet, there can be various reasons as to why. I can only say to you that God waits for you, not for you to get better, but to recognize how good Christ is. He's the better for you. And if you are a believer and you're here this morning and you're feeling the weight of your guilt, of your sin that nobody knows but you and God, only the deficiency of Christ can wipe your slate. I'm going to ask you this morning, bow heads. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. can't believe I'm going to do this. TBC, give an invitation. Never give an invitation, I don't believe. TBC. You're here today, your heads are closed, eyes, heads bowed, eyes are closed. Very quickly, I want to say to you that if you're here today and you're feeling the weight of your sin, it doesn't matter whether you're an unbeliever or a believer because both can feel the weight of their sin. I can say to you that the only reason you're feeling the weight of your sin is because you have not acknowledged the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, believer or not. Once you acknowledge that Christ's sacrifice is in fact making you acceptable to God, that relationship cannot be lost, cannot be undone, cannot be thrown away. Father, in the name of Jesus, your sufficient one, the hero of our faith, I ask through the power of your spirit to reveal to the heart and mind today any man or woman who has yet to appreciate the priceless sacrifice of Christ. I pray, God, that you would move in the heart Not through the emotions, but through the mind and the will. And spark the hope of faith. In Jesus' name. For your glory and honor, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing together. And if you're here today you can take that first major step towards that life that only Christ can offer through the power of His Spirit. Not only will I meet you and pray for you and with you, the pastor will certainly be willing to do that. There are probably elders in the house and deacons who will be so same. you don't really have to come forward. You can go backwards if you want to. Someone will meet you back there, do the same thing. It doesn't really matter where. It has to do with the what. power of the blood of Christ becomes yours when you accept